how are you guys doing, by the way? Very nice, very nice. So uh, I don't know if, if this is good to go, but if, uh, if not, that's okay, because, so a lot of you know that I have a four-year-old son named Wells, and Wells is hilarious right now. Uh, it's constant entertainment, quickly followed by uh, pretty frequent temper tantrums because he can't have a cookie or something, but it is what it is. And one of the fun things that we've started doing around our house that uh, these guys have sort of helped us get together is that we've started playing some board games. And so two of our favorites are uh, Shoots and Ladders and Candyland. Okay, but one thing you gotta know is since my son, he's you know, pretty new at the whole board game thing, I usually have to kind of re-explain the rules to him. And so we'll usually start off by saying, all right, buddy, pick one of these creepy looking gummy gingerbread man, and he always picks blue. That means I usually pick green, and in the rare case that mom gets to play because little brother isn't freaking out about something, she'll be yellow, and so remember, you're gonna draw a card. All right, it's a blue, so you'll go there, and then you'll blah, blah. At about that point, and maybe it's because I take too long to explain Candyland, but at about that point, hey, I'm gonna need this uh, podium, sorry. Uh, but it, it takes too long to explain it, and he just decides, eh, not really interested in hearing the rules anymore, Dad, and instead opts to sort of add in his own rules, which always results in us never actually playing Candyland, thanks, Ben, as it was intended, but it also then somehow always ends with him winning. I don't quite understand how that happens. But, but I tell you all that because sometimes I think we have a little bit of a four-year-old board game approach to the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? Well, we believe that there is a real kingdom and like a real kingdom must have, there is a real king and his name is Jesus. And in his kingdom, the ways of the world do not prevail, but instead the will of the father. But when you enter in a four-year-old board game approach and we end up sort of taking some of the rules, but certainly not shy to add in our own rules, we effectively live with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot remaining in the kingdom of the world. And the problem with that is that when you surrendered your life to Christ and you were made a new creation, then you were totally rewired, reoriented to where you now thrive when you are in the kingdom of God. Your soul craves the nutrients of the kingdom of God. And we don't talk about them as nutrients because that would be kind of strange, but we say five Gs. Your soul thrives when you consume the gathering of believers like we're here now, when you consume grace and when you grow in your understanding of the Father, when you go and share the good news of Jesus and also help people follow Jesus and your soul thrives whenever you give generously of your time, talent, and treasure. And so starting this morning, we're, we're gonna do a, a series that's called Kingdom Economics. And, and the hope of this series is, is pretty straightforward, that we would be reminded of how we thrive when we live out of generosity. And, and around here, just from kind of the onset, generosity, we don't mean that to mean writing a check or showing up to a commitment. Generosity is, as we feel like Scripture shares, is not something we do, 
but it's someone that we are. And so we want to be people marked by generosity. This morning, what I wanna do is, is I wanna look at three realities of a kingdom economics. And to do that, we'll, we'll be in Matthew 25. But before we get into Matthew 25 to better understand the context, I think it's helpful to look at Matthew 24. Because Jesus is asked a question in Matthew 24 that he then spends Matthew 25 answering using three different parables. And the question that Jesus is asked, again in Matthew 24 to set up chapter 25, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So to answer this question, Jesus tells these three parables. You've got the, ten, the parable of the 10 virgins, you've got the parable of the sheep and the goats, and then right sandwiched there in the middle where we'll be today is the parable of the gold bags or the parable of the talent. And so look with me at Matthew 25 verses 14 through 15. If you have your Bible, you can look there. If not, it'll be on the screens behind me. But verse 14 says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So I, I, I'm a visual person, so I like to, to picture you know, stories and narratives like this on scripture as if it was sort of a movie that we're watching. And so I'm gonna invite you to do that with me. But, but picture, you know, you've got this, this master, right? And he calls his three servants, you know, one's out in the barn, one is out in the field, and another is uh, down by the river, I don't know, right? And he says, hey, I need you guys to come meet me at the house. I need to go on a journey, but I can't just leave my wealth unattended. The ESV says property. That might be more helpful in getting our minds wrapped around this. I can't just leave my property unattended. So here's what I'm gonna do. Your old jobs your old responsibilities, I'll find someone else to cover those, but I need to entrust my wealth to you. And so you, guy one, you're you're gonna manage this part of the property and and you, you'll oversee this and you, you'll lead in this area. I'm entrusting my wealth to to you, but I'm not donating it. Okay, it's my wealth right now. When I leave, it'll still be my wealth. And when I return, it's still my wealth. I just need you to look after it and to steward it. He entrusted his wealth to them. And I I think what, what Jesus is communicating here through this parable is that we, like the servants, we have been entrusted with great riches. And that's the first reality to a kingdom economics. And notice it says, his wealth And that means it's his wealth that he has also lavished onto you in your life. That also means that every gift, opportunity, breath, minute, moment, everything that you have is because of the generosity of the Father bought by the blood of Jesus on the cross. I'm sorry to say, but you brought nothing into this world and you take nothing out because all we are are stewards of the riches that have been lavished upon us. He has entrusted 
his wealth to us. He, he's, he's given you these abilities and these gifts and he said, here, come and take this. I give you this gift. I give you this opportunity, but use it for my glory and for the proclamation of my kingdom. He owns the gifts so he can dictate what we do with them. They're not ours. But you know, if you pan the camera over, there's that other servant. You know, there's a guy that got five and two, but then there's a third servant, the one who got one bag of gold. I wonder what he's thinking. I'll tell you what I'm thinking if I'm him. Ripped off, not fair, Mr. Master. Here's a bright idea. You have eight bags of gold. Why don't you give him 2.6, give him 2.6, and then I'll take 2.6, and let's do this the fair and equitable way. And we do this with our gifting and what God has given us all the time. We think if I had this gift or this talent or, or this schedule, or if I was able to retire at this age, then and only then I would be able to actually leverage something meaningful for the kingdom of God. But all I have is this lousy one bag of gold. And let me just real quickly say two things if you feel like all you have is one lousy bag of gold. If you feel like what the king has given you isn't enough, let me just encourage you with one or two things. The first one is, until you can elevate the kingdom of God over your role, you'll never feel like you have enough. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, he illustrates the human body, or he illustrates the church at Corinth how it is to function using the illustration of the human body. And he says, you know, you've got all these body parts, organs, cells, but they're all unified, even in their different roles, under the reality of their purpose to keep you alive. And so in the same way, God has ordained different gifts and roles and opportunities, and yet they're all unified under the purpose and the proclamation of his kingdom. And so you can, you can think you got shortchanged with your one bag of gold talent, but in reality, you're thinking about the wrong thing. You're on the team. You're in the kingdom. And your purpose and your mission outweighs any role. And the second thing is, if you're struggling, feeling like you don't have enough, you identify with the one bag of gold guy. The second thing is, is that comparison will rob you. We, we live in a comparison culture. And I fully believe that one of the primary ways in which the enemy is sidelining men and women from leveraging their gifts and their abilities is through creating in them deep feelings of inadequacy through the comparison trap. I saw this video recently. I've been pretty fascinated by the whole Deion Sanders at University of Colorado thing. And so I saw this video of him on YouTube talking about role models in comparison. Check this out real quick. Yeah, but see, oftentimes you got to understand those things that you see, those things that you clap for, those things that you cheer for, those things that you idolize, they're not role models. They're models playing a role. You don't, you don't know who they are. You just saw them 
doing what they're gifted and blessed to do for two hours of the day. Could you imagine if the world got an opportunity to see you at your best for two hours a day, how your, your profile would just be enhanced, everything would be wonderful, everything would be so different, because we're showing you for two hours doing what you're gifted to do. But what happens to the other 22? What we do when we so often compare, especially you guys and young adults, those of us that are social media savvy, that's a lot of people in the room. You know, Facebook. <laughs> that's the great equalizer, why I can say everyone in the room is on social media, because of Facebook. But anytime that, that, that we compare ourselves to what we see someone doing in a 60 second story on Instagram, we're weighing that against the full 24 hours of reality that we live within. And I don't know if you guys have realized this, but usually people put like a more polished image of themselves on social media. And so we're weighing ourselves against someone's doctored internet approved version, right? And look, I don't care what they say. Perception is not reality. It's just not, right? And so the comparison trap, elevate your gift, elevate the kingdom above your gift. And the enemy more than anything wants to convince you that your one bag of gold just isn't enough. But in reality, you have been entrusted with the riches of the king. The second, the second reality of a kingdom economics is delayed obedience is disobedience. Look with me at verses 16 through 18. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And so first two guys, five bag, two bag guy, right? They go at once. They waste no time leveraging what they've been given for the benefit of their master. But this other guy with one bag, he's got a little bit of a different start. He sort of stumbles out of the gates a bit. And instead of going at once, he says, it says the text that he went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. For some of us in the room, God has been calling you to leverage an opportunity, a gift, an ability. But you have been bearing it under excuse after excuse after excuse. I'm too busy. I'll do it when the kids leave the house. I'll do it when the kids are older. I'm not gifted for that. I'm not talented enough. I'm, I'm too young. I'm too old. Reminds me of this story that I read recently about Lois Seacrest. In 1927, she was 15 and she, she felt the Lord calling her to be a missionary and she promised that she would go and serve as a missionary. But, but some things in her life happened and, and she ended up getting married and, and so the, the, the calling and the promise to be a missionary seemed to be fading fast. And then in 1988, her husband passed away and shortly after his passing, the desire and the call to be a missionary returned. 
She was 76. She thought, there's no way, God. How could I go and be a missionary at the age of 76? And she resisted and she resisted until finally, at the age of 87, she became the unlikely founder of an orphanage in the Philippines. She says, I serve a mighty God. He's in control. I feel I'm not talented enough to do any of this, but God enables me. My responsibility is to do what I can. Lois's story reminds us that it's never too late to move in the direction towards obedience. And it might take some excavation of, of your calendar and some commitments that you have. And believe me, I understand in our Western culture, the two things we don't wanna die to are our calendars and our comfort, but you might have to. But it is never too late to unearth the talent and the ability and the calling that the Lord has placed on your life and move at once in the direction of obedience. If you look at verses 19, it says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. You know, I kind of wonder if as the master was walking up to his house, back to his property, if, if he questioned his strategy a bit, if he had like one of those, eh, on second thought, should I have entrusted all of my wealth to like some of my servants? Probably uneducated, didn't really have a whole lot of experience in managing someone else's wealth. They'd probably never even seen that much money. And yet, yet he did it anyways. Look at verses 20 through 24. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The, two, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. See, the third reality of a kingdom economics is faithfulness over results every time. You notice when, when the master returned, he didn't say, well done, you've made me a rich man. Well done, you doubled my investment. Well done, you had a great return on what you invested. But instead he says, well done, good and faithful servant. In this story, the master is far more interested in the faithfulness of the servants than their return. Jesus didn't care about investment strategies. The, the bags of gold, the return, that's, that's the supporting cast. The main narrative here is that God cares a whole lot more about your faithfulness than your production. God cares a whole lot more about your faithfulness than your value add. And let me tell you why I, I find this personally so liberating. We've been talking about, and I, I believe there's some who's your one devotionals outside that you can get, but, but this idea of who's your one is us coming together as a church 
and us praying and asking God to, to give us one name of someone who is far from God that we could pray for, that we could invest in, and hopefully that we could share the gospel with. And I know because this has happened to me that there are people in this room who said, after Madison challenged us last week, who said, all right, God, who is my one? And the person that immediately came to mind, you're like, ah, nope, God, sorry, you got it wrong. Spin the wheel again. Can't be that person. Because, because that person is so jaded, so hardened, so far from God, they will never step into a church. Maybe not, but maybe, but either way, that's not your part of the job. You don't have to make hardened hearts soft. You don't have to be the one that convicts. That's the spirit. And, and the spirit's doing a good job with that. You just stick to your job, faithfulness, faithfulness. God cares a lot more and desires your faithfulness a lot more than anything you could ever return on the riches that he's invested in you. What about the third guy? What about his reception, Mr. One Bag? It says in verse 24, the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. You see, the problem with this guy, it's, it's not his production, but it's that he was ruled by fear and not faith. He, 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 was, he, he was just in, encapsulated by so much insecurity and fear of what would happen if he begun to leverage the riches that he was given, that to him it felt safer to just hold them close to the chest and bury them where no one would ever see him and no one could ever hurt him. And, and I wonder if this question might help you, it's helped me, maybe it would even have helped this guy in this parable, but if you could do anything for the Lord, and failure wasn't an option, what would you do? I mean, think about it. If you could do anything for the Lord and you knew it wouldn't fail, what would you do? Who would you invite into your home? What would you do with your neighbors? Where would you serve? Would, would, would you start a ministry? Would you start having a, a weekly supper at your house with all of your neighbors? If you could do anything for God, and you knew it wouldn't fail, what would you do? That sounds like a hypothetical question, but if we remember who's in charge of success, failure, it's not us, it's God. And he's already won victory. And so really, what seems like a hypothetical question is a real question, because it won't fail if you move in faithfulness. If you could do anything for God, wouldn't fail, what would you do? As we get ready to close, I wanna go back up to verse 19. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. You know, that settled accounts part can, can be pretty easy to sort of glance over, but if we remember the, the context from chapter 24, this, this parable and, and the parables in front and behind it are all 
Jesus answering the question of what will the end of ages be like? And so, when Jesus tells this story, the master, that's supposed to represent him and him coming back from this long journey to settle accounts is symbolic towards judgment day, when Jesus will, in fact, return and will settle accounts and, and will give an account for everything that we have done. And I, I wonder what that day will be like. I wonder if it's gotta be like waiting in line, like a holy DMV, I don't know. And as I get closer and closer, the king from his throne, Vanderslice, and I'll step up. I don't know why I picture God with like a little manila folder. Top secret. Occupation, pastor. Ooh, these accounts take a little while to settle, so if you'll just be patient with us. So Pierce, I gave you some gifts, some ability, entrusted my riches to you. How'd you leverage them? Well, God, I, I preached in front of a, a, a lot of people and, and, and sometimes some people even came to faith and I was part of this ministry and I got to start this and, and I went on mission trips at that. Pierce, tell me about May 1st, 2011. I, I don't know, nothing sticks out. That was in college. You, you preached your first sermon you ever preached. Chalk Bluff Baptist Church, Sunday night service. About 40 people there. Was it that bad, God? <laughs> well, you did talk about the 80s Lakers and the Space Challenger disaster, neither of which you were alive about, alive for. But no, it, it was my favorite. Because y you see, once you became a, a professional, you, you started preaching for the human affirmation and applause and accolades, and, and that was what you chased, and you would compare yourself to other people. But, but that night at Chalk Bluff, you didn't need any of that. You were just faithful. You were just faithful to the gift that I had given you. And those were my favorite sermons. Not the ones where you needed a bunch of stuff, but you just needed the smile and the delight of your father. So what'll it be like? What'll it be like when the master comes to settle accounts? I know for me, I hope that I don't spend my time using my gifts to chase after things that don't matter and trying to climb this ladder and avoid these shoots, but what I really hope is I was a good steward with the riches that I was entrusted with, that I was obedient to the calling that God placed on my life. But more than anything, no matter where I end up, I hope that I was faithful no matter the production that I had. And so, what will it be like What'll it be like when you settle your accounts? Let's pray. Lord, we, we
we know that you are a generous God who has generously bestowed upon us more gifts and more riches than we could ever know. Yet, Father, it's so easy to become a hoarder in this world. It's so easy to store up all that you've given us for our own benefit, for our own production, Lord. But in reality, Father, what we want, what I want, what I hope for us as a church is that we would be a people who knew that everything that we have is yours. And since it's yours, you get to dictate what we do with it. And so that we would walk in obedience, that we would walk in faithfulness, knowing that if we are obedient to the calling that you've given us, if we're faithful to the calling that you've given us, Lord, we won't fail. Failure won't be an option. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.